0: Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 176, I'm Matt Hackett.
1: And I'm Jeff Blair.
0: Right off the bat, I feel like I
1: neglected to mention something about the Spelunky book. Oh, so this is like a, kind of like a correction to a podcast? Yeah. Two Co- podcasts ago?
0: Correct-a-cast, yeah, I thought it was last week's, but that was A-Hee moment. Mm. Engines and HTML5 stuffs. Stiffs. But uh, I don't know why I thought of this, it just popped in my head and uh, it needed to be mentioned because it's very upsetting. Uh oh. <laughs> no, you'll know what I mean. Um, I just, I, we got to break the devs' balls. So here's a quote from the book What was trickier was managing our source files. For the entirety of the project, neither Andy nor I used any form of source control. Oh my god. A way to a way to back up source code that allows multiple people to work on it simultaneously. Instead, we did things the old-fashioned way by passing zip files back and forth through email. Wow. <laughs> what? I mean, especially a project that size. How would how would you handle that? Very, it wouldn't very it wouldn't carefully. work sometimes, right? Like, hey, uh, I emailed you an update. Oh, I've been working on changes myself. Well, that's never going to work, so
1: one of us has to redo stuff, right? I bet they had a pretty good separation. I think it's interesting because, you know, you and I don't have a lot of conflicts. Often. They happen, but, yeah, not that often because you're mostly on the low level. I'm mostly
0: on the upper level.
1: Yeah, and I imagine, like, you know, I mean, I don't know those two guys, Andy Hull and Derek you very well, but, like, right. my perception from what I do know is that Derek is, you know... More like the game design artist, high level scripter yeah. type of person. And then Andy Hall is more of like, you know, the physics engine and the rendering optimization and that kind of junk.
0: Correct. There was a bunch of overlap because I know they both worked on art and probably some game design stuff
1: too. But yeah, I'm in sure, general,
0: yeah, yeah those, are the, those are the bigger hats they wore, right?
1: You know what I find amazing though is that uh, given that horrendous engineering decision, yep, they were still able to put out a fantastic game. Uh, that works really well and is very popular. Better than anything we've ever done, exactly. By, so with what, using source control. So what what good is source control? <laughs> in fact, let's
0: stop using it. If if source control doesn't help you make better games, what good is it? Kick no, it to the
1: curb. That's right.
0: Yeah, I think this comes from a place where so Derek's mentioning this in the book too. That in general they didn't really make themselves many tools at all. They mm-hmm. went with what was quick and dirty, and the logic was: don't spend time on that. Just push forward in the game. You know
1: the bare minimum of tools that you need (laughs) to get it out the gate and uh, i can kind of relate to that i can too i think in general it's a good philosophy however you know if we are being realistic like it probably would have actually been easier for them to just set up github or something right like
0: oh yeah i mean big time that's that's (laughs) one of the cases where you know okay on one end of the spectrum is you spent three months making the world's greatest map editor for a game that's not even as good as the map editor Right. right right on the other end of the spectrum uh you know you you just kind of like you edit binary files and you just make it work you don't really care which you know there's it's it's a sliding scale right Right. wherever you're happiest is is the answer to that question like where you should be you know but i think in this case uh
1: i just had to break some balls because that's (laughs) don't do that use source control absolutely yeah but again you know the the bigger higher level idea is just get it done like it's true it doesn't matter if you're doing it the quote unquote right way if you can make it happen then like you make it happen that's right don't let don't let things like source control stand in your way of greatness (laughs) kick source control to the curb
0: if it's if it's blocking your dreams yeah that's right so uh today i want to talk a little bit about something it's a french term so get ready for some pretension wow it's coming it's coming and uh, this is a term I learned from a cooking show, which I like cooking shows because they're just so relaxing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, they're not challenging. Makes you feel like you're home. They're like hugs from your mother, you wow. know? such a nice cooking show. Uh, mise en place. Yes. This is spelt like M-I-S-E-E-N place,
1: B-L-A-C-E. It's kind of a strange term. But, uh, Jeff, what's it mean? Uh, roughly, it means everything in its place. Yeah. Or replace for everything. It's kind of like... There's a saying in English as well that says, you know, everything is placed and a place for everything or, or vice versa, right? Yeah, but there's a different connotation to this term, right? So especially right. in the in the cooking
0: uh world in which I first saw it, it, it means a specific thing. You know, you don't just say it as like a you know a regular expression or just some right like a saying or something. It's a specific thing. And uh, some chefs will like expect it out of their cooks, you know. And, and here's what it is. It's like, uh, okay, so your meats are prepped right they've already been marinated your vegetables have already been chopped you've got your eggs out you have all the you know your spices are mixed you've got your ingredients around you right and you're ready to just work you're not figuring out like i don't know what i'm making right you're not oh crap i you know i've got this burner going boiling water but i forgot to chop my vegetables anything like that no 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 that's all prepared for you you're ready to just cook and at the end you will absolutely have your finished dish
1: Right, which is, you know, in a restaurant setting, that's of paramount importance because yes. you can't be prepping things while you're trying to fill orders, you know, like yeah. people are waiting, they're hungry, they have an expectation of timeliness, you're trying to cook, you know, 17 copies of the same meal in a short right. time period, you know, <laughs> so you better have you better have your assembly line ready to go. Yes. So this relates to game dev. There's, there's going to be all
0: kinds of metaphors and analogies bouncing around here, right? but that's that's a a place i've very rarely ever been in you know that that mise en place place where you you know exactly what you want to do you know what you're doing you have all the tools necessary to do it and it's just a matter of cooking you know
1: right. there's
0: almost always i i don't know absolutely what i'm designing i don't necessarily know i don't know what, i don't know what i'm going to draw for this next thing i don't know what the finish line looks like sometimes or here's a big one is like you know there's a system chunk missing where we want to Maybe add a new monster that needs a new system or, you know, oh, or like that the tile system that we've got, it just doesn't do this feature that we need to finish this boss encounter, or something like that, right? That's the equivalent of, you know, I'm ready to cook and I've got something, you know, on the stove already, but we don't have any beef.
1: <laughs> right.
0: right? And you've got to like, okay, quick, quick, before the stuff on the stove burns, we gotta find a cow, kill it, butcher it, right? When you think about it that way, it starts to be pretty uh jarring. It, it lets you think about how you're actually working what, what are you actually doing are you are you being creative you know are you working on your design or are you just like Thrashing chugging along? <laughs> yeah right so like i uh i use chili a lot as, a, as something i think about because um it takes me a good chunk of time to cook i cook it a lot probably like once a week because i i like that i can i can make it it's very um versatile i can put it in like chili mac i can make like a chili cheese burrito i can just eat straight up chili I can spend maybe, you know, thirty minutes to an hour one day cooking it and I can spend the next three or four days eating it, right? It's very efficient to me. And I also it's delicious. So I've made a lot of chili in my life. And of course when I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about how does this <laughs> how does this relate to games? Because <laughs> I can't shut that part of my brain off. And I so I draw all these analogies, you know. And the way that I used to cook chili is um I would shoot from the hip a lot more, you know, I would just throw some crap in there and I this was a big thing. I would um start cooking before I had everything prepared because I would be, okay, I've got an hour right now. I'm just going to cook. And I think that that's the way a lot of people treat game development, especially you know, us indies or us hobbyists. Like, we, we have to jump in and be like, okay, I've only got until, like it's 10 right now. I've got to be in bed by midnight. I've got this two-hour little bubble. You know? And you just want to push forward. You don't want to have to worry about preparation or thinking about your tools or anything like that. you know? mm-hmm. So recently with Chili, I started doing this different thing where I'll think like, okay, you know, I'm probably going to make Chili tomorrow. And so I'll do the prep today. I will chop my vegetables. I'll make a little um, spice mix. You know, I'll make sure I have everything. That's a big thing. Um, I used to be in the middle of cooking something and I'd realize I'm out. Like, oh, I've got no corn. I've got no beans or something. You know, that's the worst. Yeah, you don't want to be there. You either like it sucks. You gotta go take a drive and go get some groceries, or you've got to do without. And maybe it's gross because you don't like vegetarian chili or whatever. You know, you got to deal with something that you you're throwing a curveball and you didn't want to be yeah. a curveball, right? And man does that make a difference because I thought it would be you know yeah I'm sure it'll be a little nicer or something you know <laughs> the, the cook will be easier it's a much different experience you don't feel like you're running around like a chicken with its head cut off you don't feel stressed I'm not watching the clock I'm not worried about timers going off I'm not making mistakes and cutting my fingers while I'm quickly trying to roughly chop vegetables you know mm-hmm. it's an entirely different experience and I don't screw up any step
1: you know Well, it's because there are fewer steps. It's like humans are bad at stuff, right? (laughs) Like all all things. All things. I mean, you know, to to varying degrees, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But like the more you're trying to do at one time, the worse you're going to do all of those things and the more mistakes Mm. you're likely to make. So like basically what you're doing, right, is you're distributing the complexity across several days. Right. uh, So that, you know, when it comes time to do the part that matters, right, the cooking, yeah. That uh, you'll be able to focus on just that one aspect.
0: Right. Yeah, and the cooking part is um is extremely important because it's it's one of the few things that's extremely time-based. You know, like if you're supposed to cook the meat, you know, three minutes on each side and you aren't paying attention, you're slicing vegetables or something, and you do six minutes on each side, it's going to be overcooked and burnt and gross. And all that prep time you did, all that work, all the buying of groceries, all the chopping of vegetables, like all that, all that work suffers. Because one of the core ingredients is uh, is not as good as it could be, you know? Because you weren't ready. Because you weren't ready, exactly. So I've just been thinking about that a lot. And um, I really just, <clears throat> I want to have the tool set where any reasonable game that we want to make can be cranked out very easily without having to futz too much behind the scenes. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I think uh, this is especially true for things like game jams, right? Like there's actually yeah. people have written like game jam survival guides. And a lot of times you'll see them mention things like, you know know the tools you're going to use, know how like your art pipeline is going to be. Like there's right. a lot of things that you can decide on and make sure are ready before you actually start writing your game jam code. Right? Like yeah. you have your process ready to go, you have your stove on, you have your vegetables chopped. <laughs> and uh, then you can just jump into it. And exactly. it's like I think it, it's one of those things where like on a bigger longer game project, you don't think about it as much, but you know, for a game jam it kind of bubbles to the surface a little bit more. The fact that like you really need to be prepared because you don't want to be spending your time thrashing around like, okay, I need to make a tile map. How?
0: Right. Yeah. And let's say there was a, oh, this weekend there's a chili cook-off, right? Right. Yes. I, I am totally prepared right now. I've almost got the recipe memorized. I, I have some ingredients that I can switch in and out depending on, you know, oh, this is what we have leftover-wise, or this is the fanciest version of this that I could make, that kind of stuff, you know? Right. I know how to make my chili kind of almost in and out. So I feel like very prepared and, and ready. I, I can crank it, crank it out. But in other scenarios, let's say it was like, okay, a cheesecake, contest this weekend I've never made a cheesecake I would do so bad but it feels like I'm prepared ish you know I've done some baking I know how to make foods sometimes (laughs) and I'm really am interested in food I I think that it's fun to cook and I I really like eating the result and that kind of a thing so I might be really eager like oh cool that's a that's a cheesecake bake-off right across the street I could totally participate you know but I'm not prepared I'm not in a good spot for that right? Practice would be an obvious thing to do. Like, okay, yeah, to prepare for this contest, I made three cheesecakes or something. But, like, I really get the feeling that most people don't, or maybe even can't, treat game jams like that, you know? Because it'll be this kind of thing where it's like, you're living your life, especially, you know, for, like, the hobbyist and independent area, right? You're living your life, you're uh, just trying to carve out time to work on your games, right? And then you see, oh, hey, Ludum Dare is coming up, or there's this, uh, you know, indie speedrun, whatever it is you know that there's like a 48 hour period coming up and you sometimes have to like <laughs> carve out space in your life. You tell people like, okay, look Saturday and Sunday I'm unavailable. All right.
1: Don't mess. <laughs> don't me.
0: plan. Yeah. Don't plan anything. There's no commitments. Like I need this time to just do that and to also be, Hey, you should dedicate, you know, a day or three before that to sharpen your tools and practice and make a whole game a to B, you know, start to finish that kind of thing that, is too much mm-hmm. and so by the time you get to the game jam that's that's really like that is the allocated time that you've got so i don't know where i'm going with that but i just i just think that it's um i think people on our forum and also um i was gonna mention this we have a discord channel we've been hanging out in i will oh. put a link to this in the show notes although discord um their links are kind of weird because they expire very quickly they're only like 48 hours or something yeah so, if only for hardcore listeners who listen on the first day, and you also visit the website, click on that link, that you can get in.
1: Or you know, if you want an invite, and there's not an invite, just message us on Twitter. Yeah, or just
0: yeah, exactly, and we'll just get you a fresh one, a fresh key. But uh, anyway, yeah, I, I've seen a lot of people talking recently about um, time and oh, uh, you know, the dream game, that kind of thing.
1: You know? Yeah. And I've been thinking about that kind of stuff uh, a lot recently. I think that the means and place thing is interesting to think about in the context of just regular game development too, because I don't know how good of a job we do at that stuff, but I feel like it kind of just, it kind of starts to happen naturally as you do something a lot. Yeah. You know, you start to recognize these areas where you're like, well, I can't work on this yet because I haven't done, you know, this other task first. Right. Like you start to know when you're not prepared and then you're able to like work on other things beforehand. Right, yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of it really, like the, you know, game jams are are kind of a very close analogy, I think, because it's like a time-based thing. But a lot of times, you know, you you can just sit in your hole and make games and it doesn't matter if you're thrashing around because, you know, you, you don't necessarily have all the time in the world, but you're not on like a strict timetable. Yeah. But I do think that that, it kind of hides the fact that like you might be thrashing around and being way more inefficient than like you otherwise could be. Right. Especially if you're a hobbyist or something where you're only got like a few hours a week to work on this thing, you know, you need to make sure that those, those are efficient hours.
0: I kind of feel like my head is still in that, uh, that place where I've got to carve out time (laughs) to find, uh, you know, you got to find that time to work on the stuff that you, you want to push forward because like, you know, I still got the full-time job, which is right now cranking on Soul Thief, you know, getting that out the door. But then I I still can't shut up these extra voices that are like, work on <coughs> another game. <laughs> right. You know, but like, I've, so I've got to treat it more like that part-time thing where, okay, yeah, I've got to walk the dog and that's going to take an hour. Or, you know, oh, we've got plans tonight or whatever. So I've got to like, I still have to find that time, allocate that time to work on the stuff that I want to push forward that doesn't necessarily, like it, it would have a payoff, but it'd be way down the road, Right. Right. And recently we need stuff like, okay, look, Soul Thief is in access. It it needs to get done. Like that's that's that should be the focus right now, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, but I'm still eager to like you know, scratch creative itches in other areas as well.
1: Yeah. So oh, it's kinda hard. So before we move on from the, the food analogies. You got a cooking thing. I had a cooking thing. This isn't really a game dev analogy. So Sorry, We don't want to hear it, Jeff. We're moving on. No, I want to hear it. Uh, I recently, actually, Melissa, uh, found this service. I guess it's a startup. It's called HelloFresh. I don't know if you've heard of it. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Anyways, what they do is they basically uh, deliver to your house, like, once a week, a preset, like, set of ingredients for some meals. Oh. And, like, uh, you know, instructions about how to to cook all those different things. And, like, you can... Pick which ones you want on the website. So we thought that was a pretty interesting idea because sometimes we have these time periods where we're like, we want to eat, but we don't know what we want to eat. And there's a lot of stuff that, like, I'm not the world's greatest cook. You know, I like to cook. It's sort of like a, I don't know, like a. Just it's fun to make stuff. It's always fun to make things. But like you have to eat, right? And so like, yeah, it's one of those things where like it's a good life skill to have. It is. It really is. Um, But I get in these ruts where like you know. I have this repertoire of things that like I can make well that I know how to make from scratch, but I feel like it's not a very deep bench of of things, and so I kind of get tired of like my regulars now and again. Yeah,
0: yeah, I know what you mean because I do. I've got like a half dozen things <laughs> I, can, I can make it very well, and I'm I can make it pretty easily, but I'm a little bored with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I think this is a really interesting service. We tried it out. We've eaten like uh, I guess two two of the meals so far, but. It's pretty cool. Like they give you like these little boxes. They come in like a you know like a cold pack type thing when they deliver it, and then you put it in your mm-hmm. fridge. And it's just like there's this one box, and the box will be like, "This is the like blah 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 shrimp dish." <laughs> it's not a very good name. It's not no. appetizing. I'm trying
0: to think. I, I think last <laughs> doesn't does make me want to eat shrimp. <laughs> blah 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 shrimp. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so like last night we had the Serrano steak, I guess, and uh, it was basically like uh, a steak marinated in balsamic vinegar with serrano peppers and it was grilled and then it was over uh, cilantro lime rice wow. and a mango slaw salad and so like the box would have like a mango and a lime and the balsamic vinegar and basically it has everything you need to make that dish it has the steak everything um, hmm. except for like the standard stuff like salt and pepper olive oil like they expect you to have like the bare bones basic ingredients
0: oh sure yeah we've always got that yeah I've got a pretty decent spice rack, and I've always got salt and
1: pepper and garlic and you know the basics around chicken stock for me almost, I use that in almost everything I think that they would even not require you to have things like chicken stock and uh and garlic right like anything perishable mm. I don't think they they really expect you to have but mm, interesting for you know certainly spices, but i mean like they uh like they'll send you the basil if a uh thing requires basil, they'll send you cilantro if it requires cilantro. So yeah. you really, you really just need to have the absolute bare minimum, which is really just salt and pepper and oil most of the time.
0: You know, I was—I uh, think price is always what I think of with a, a service that sounds kind of fancy. With that, but I'm seeing here they're like ten bucks a meal, which is for two to four adults, which that's like five or less dollars each. It's not too bad.
1: So I think the first time you order, it's ten bucks per meal, and then it's like twenty bucks per meal. Ah, oh. that's how they get you. That's how they get you. Yeah. So we're trying it out, and like I, I definitely notice right when I'm looking at this box, I'm like okay i could go to the store and i could buy this tomato and this mango and this blah blah, blah for like you know I, I could buy all the ingredients of this box for, for less than 20 dollars yeah uh or you know 10 dollars, maybe not 10 dollars 10 dollars for a meal is pretty cheap right um you could i'm sure you could make it a little cheaper uh yourself but um i think for me right now like the interesting part of it is like getting exposed to new recipes in a very uh low friction way
0: Well, it's almost like paying for a tutorial where, you know, I might not want to make breakout my entire life. But if someone's going to give me exactly the tools I need to make breakout and instructions on how to do it and then I do it and I'm happy with that, I can now make breakout. So, like, you know, like you're saying, you could go buy a mango and and meat or whatever for cheaper. But now that you've got that box, you've got the experience of doing it. So you can go do that now. You can go to the grocery store. You can save money and you've got the recipe. You've done it once before. You can do it again. So, it's almost like a learning coupled with eating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I think it's a pretty cool service. Uh, I don't know exactly how long we'll subscribe to it, um, but I, I thought it was really cool and I wanted to mention it. So, are we getting paid for this mention or what? Because <laughs> this, like, this
0: sounds like a HelloFresh ad. <laughs> LostCast, brought to you by HelloFresh. Yeah, really. They should write us a check or something. Yeah. Anyway, I'll put a link in the show notes because why not? But...
1: uh Random tangent, Jeff. Yeah, sorry. How do we get this back to, back on the game track? Well, you, you sort of tied it back to game dev with Breakout, which actually kind of made mm. me think about, like, you know, you, you already have these, like, there's already tutorials that say, like, you know, here's a video that walks you through how to make this game. Yep. You have articles that do very similar stuff. You have open game art where, like, here's a bunch of graphics. Mm. You have open game art, which, like, sounds. Yeah. And you have Unity asset store stuff, like, here's this piece of code you might need. Here's this script. Here's these models. Um... I wonder if there would be a place for something that was like the whole package, right? Like, here's the libraries you need. Here's all the graphics you need for this game. You could obviously swap them out if you wanted to. Here's all the sounds. Like, everything is prepped. Like, it's kind of like mise en place, right? Like, to bring it home.
0: (laughs) Okay, here we go. We're going to make a a monthly tutorial subscription service. And it'll be you know uh, it's almost like one game a month, but it's like okay this this month we're making Breakout, next month we're making t- Tetris, <laughs> yeah. And each month we mail you to your inbox. Here's a package or something like that. Yeah. We can use that to pay the bills while we finish Soul
1: Thief. How about that? We'll call it Hello Games, <laughs> except for there's already a Hello Games. Oh, there is No Man's Sky, right? Is that called Hello Games? Well, the studio, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Now you do. I- I have heard of uh no man's sky though I'm pretty sure most people that are into games have heard of no man's is sky. Is that
0: the one where it's like every
1: pixel is procedurally generated? I mean, yeah, the high level is like you exist in a universe with a multitude of planets, and each planet is procedurally generated in a way that like you know makes it different from the others in terms of vegetation and plant life and or you know uh animals and stuff and But the thing is is that you can like go from the high scale, which is like you're zooming around the universe solar system to solar system. Down to like you landed on a planet and you're out of your ship, walking around like touching a flower on a plant.
0: Even the source code is procedurally generated.
1: Stop. Everything. Just, just stop. <laughs> Anyways, it's a fantastic idea, and it's uh, launching, I guess, in August now. Slight delay, but uh, that'll be a really interesting game to watch to see how it how it actually turns out. Is it out now on Steam Early Access? No, it's. I think it's coming out in August. But will it launch like the full version in august i think so i don't think they're doing early access i think it's a what, I mean, what? maybe i don't know <laughs> i don't know that much about it do you okay. think it's uh, absurd that people don't do early access anymore or that some studio uh, just
0: a game like that because uh, i first heard about that game a long i want to say two years ago maybe at this point and the nature of it, the you know procedural nature That's something I would think you would want to get thoroughly playtested with some kind of an early access type launch. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just surprised because I did think that one was
1: in that bucket. Maybe it is. I honestly don't know. But um, Tiger Hat Time. Part of me feels like maybe their world is procedurally generated, but it's not like per player. Does that make sense? Mm. Mm. Like it's like uh, there's a procedurally generated universe of like millions and millions of planets that you can visit. And, like, everybody is playing in the same universe, but they all start in different places. And so, like, you might never even see another human being because you're, like, off in some, like, you know, remote quadrant of the universe. Mm, but like I want to maybe could, never see another human being. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound right up your alley. Yeah. Never seen but, like, anyone. what? Uh, anyways, it, it's, you know, kind of fascinating because the procedural generation is not used in the same way, I think, that other games use it, which is, like, to have a uh, a different feeling like session session to session kind of gameplay like you know right. Spelunky or whatever very interesting so
0: it launches June 21st in North America and you can pre-order it for 60 bucks and I want to know where's my check this is now the second product <laughs> maybe the third if you count the Spelunky book why is no one <laughs> why is no one paying us why is this? no one sponsoring our podcast we need it <laughs> We
1: advertise for so many things. Maybe we should just submit an invoice to them. Be like, hey, we mentioned uh, your product on this this podcast. We'd like to. They're like Marcus spam. (laughs) We'd like to. uh, Here's an invoice for whatever. Yeah, yeah. On that note,
0: I would like to thank Justin this month for becoming a patron. Yeah, Justin. Because we do have some products of our own, including our Patreon, where you can support us at Patreon.com/slash/LostDecadeGames. Woo, (laughs) woo. All right, now here's a flawless segue from back when we were talking about tutorials and education and stuff, right? I want to talk about education a little bit. (laughs) Swish. Well done. Uh, All right, I was thinking about learning recently because we've been doing nothing but learning for the last four years. Uh, I don't know if that'll ever stop. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. It feels... You ever hear like, uh, okay, uh, the expression, get an education, right? I'm yes. going to go to school. I'm going to graduate. And once I'm graduated, I will be educated. I am an educated man. That kind of stuff, right? It makes it sound like it is a thing, like it is just a specific goal, you know? Like, um, I won an award. I got educated. I'm done now. No, it doesn't really ever end. Uh, but I was thinking about it in the context of, like, <clears throat> learning about games and stuff, you know? And I was thinking about um, accessibility and luck and that kind of stuff. So let me let me mention what I'm talking about when I was a kid I had access to a computer I didn't realize at the time how very lucky I was to have that access because not everybody had it you know no um and you know it's it's all relative because I I was friends with people who could not like their family could not possibly afford a computer and I was friends with um a kid who lived in a small mansion and had several computers so like the wide spectrum but we had one you know and that was more than some and I was very happy to have it and I was thinking too about stuff like this um when I was growing up, I was maybe in my young teens or something, but I had a friend who lived a short bike ride away. And he was the guy who got me into programming in the first place. His name was Jim, taught me Basic. And there was also a community college that was also a short bike ride away. And you could actually walk if you had like a half hour or something, you know, it wasn't in our backyard or anything, but it was, you could get to it even as a kid, right? And a lot of stuff, I think that, you know, you, you, want to be able to get to but you can't because you're a kid and you can't drive you know like for example the college like the actual you know state college that was near us i couldn't possibly go to that i would have to have somebody drive me and it was you know a little bit of a hike um, but anyway <clears throat> this community college my buddy and i uh, there was one summer summer you can believe this as kids we took a computer programming class at the community college Ah, uh, you're kind of a dork oh yeah huge dork and we thought that was fun. And I get the feeling now I may have told the story before because of what's coming up. But, <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, so we were in this programming class, and it was it was uh, QBasic again. And we knew QBasic. We were making games in Q- like stupid, crappy, crummy games in QBasic. But we were making games in QBasic. And this class was like, here's how to calculate the
1: sum wait, wait. of two numbers. Is this the story where you and Jim are, like, banging away on the keyboards playing your game and laughing hysterically and disrupting the entire class? There it is. Okay. Maybe I don't need to finish this
0: particular <laughs> this particular slice of the overall story. Maybe it doesn't need to be repeated. Uh but that was that was the computer programming class. And like I didn't realize at the time, it took me years later to realize what a lucky little kid I was. Yeah. I had a programming class. And yeah, at the time, I mean I was already I was already working so hard and I was so passionate about programming and games and stuff that I came in very well prepared and I got like the easiest A of my life, right? So I I did the work up front, but a lot of people don't live near community colleges, can't possibly get an extra class, you know, because like, that's not free. You know, it's, it's hundreds of dollars, I imagine, to take a class at a community college, you
1: know? Yeah. So I just feel lucky in that regard. I had uh, a basic programming class when I was in middle school. The, what? For free. Are you more spoiled and privileged than me? Um, possibly. You brat. <laughs> How is that possible? Middle school, how'd that happen? Uh, no, maybe it was high school. It was high school. I had a, I had a computer class in middle school where I was using HyperCard on the Mac. Wow. Which is not exactly programming, but it's like, you know, that kind of, you know, introduced it's me to stuff.
0: More programming than most people ever do. Yeah. Honestly, right? And so
1: if you're not familiar with HyperCard, it's an old Mac application that's basically like a slideshow, an animation yeah. slideshow. It was kind of like the flash of its day, I, I, I expect. That's fair. Um, anyways, it was pretty cool. You could do like animations and little... Things like that. And, uh, but yeah, then I think in high school, I had a programming class that was very much like what you're talking about, where it was like a QBasic programming class, but it was so low level, right? It was like, here's how to read input from, like, you know, the text and, like, you know, yeah. pick a number between one and a hundred and, like, oh, yeah. you guessed correctly or you guessed wrong <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> That's a fun game. I can play that game or all day. Did you ever do those ones where it's like, you know, what's your name? And it would be like, you know, if name equals Jeff, then, like, you are the best else oh, yeah. name is anything else like you're terrible go away
0: the first actual game i ever made was a <laughs> this i really got off on the wrong foot with my whole <laughs> game design career because it was it was a blatant clone of of my friend's game and what it was is a you know just a black screen it was all text it was just a terminal and it was uh you're fighting a dragon here are n number of things you can do you can you know use your sword you can cast a shield spell you can shoot a fireball at him. whatever right And the dragon will react in random ways. That was it. You win or you lose. And that's the game. And that was more complete than probably the next 20 games slash prototypes I would make in my life. You know, because that one had like, it had everything. It had a title screen. It had gameplay. It had like a, not a terrible amount of content. Because you had, there's a bunch of different stuff you could do and things the dragon would do, you know. And it would tell you, it had like a result scene. Like, hey, you, you, know, you won and you beat the dragon in five rounds or you lost and you, the dragon killed you in 30 rounds or whatever. It had all that. Whereas like, you know, the mini ne- next games I would make would be like, there's no title screen. Come on, no. <laughs> you shoot stuff or that's it. Uh, there's no result scene. No, you die and it <laughs> it's, it's freezes the game and says refresh to play again, right? Damn it, Matt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like that was my next like 20 games. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I feel like I had that same thing going on where my first games were like, they were way more complete than my middle games, right? It's like this, it's almost like a reverse bell curve, right? (laughs) Where you're like, my early games were like, way complete and like, because I didn't care about the tech, I just did, I just made and like, I knew like, okay, what does the game have to have? It needs the title screen, it needs the gameplay, it needs the game over, like, I was focusing on the right things in a lot of ways, I was focusing on the game. And then as I was able to understand more about programming, more about game development, my actual like product output got worse. Yeah, I think
0: it's because you continuously try to bite off more, you know? Yeah. Now I've got a map you can walk around, but that's not enough. Now there's tiles in that map, but that's not enough. Now you can walk on some and you can't walk on others, and some can draw over you and some don't draw over you. Some slow you down, some speed you up, some boost you. There are turrets that shoot at you, there are goblins that slice at you at every step of the way. I have not made a title scene, I have not made a credit scene, I have not made a menu, you can't pause. You get overwhelmed by all of the things you could be doing in your your simulation, your actual game design, right?
1: Yeah, and I think that, I think really what it speaks to is the fact that like, it wasn't that we lost the ability to make a complete game, it's just that we never got to that point because we got so bogged down in all of the other technical things we wanted to do, like you're talking about maps and tile ordering and stuff like that right right that like we lost motivation for the project before you ever got to the point of hey i should make a tile screen for this thing (laughs) yeah i
0: started doing that with my uh prototypes my my, my recent prototype has everything from a title screen to credits rolling nice it's the full picture the actual gameplay you can beat the game in like 10 minutes Nice. so (laughs) that's (laughs) that's kind of a problem but i am becoming more aware of um as I'm working something on something, I'm thinking, oh, geez, you know, I'm going to need to finish this someday. So why not why not keep that in your mind? Why not almost put out a placeholder for that of like, here is the world's crappiest title scene, but it's here. And it's a, it's a friendly reminder to me that I need to get to that point where it will matter. You know? Right.
1: Yeah. I think about that a lot too, because I think that, you know, especially for you and I in our own experiences, like one thing that I want to get better at is like the game loop. Yes. Right. Yeah, I feel sure. like I'm definitely past the point where, like, making a micro simulation is is something that we've done a lot. Right. Like, yeah. Here, load this thing up, move around, kill some things, get some points, die or whatever, maybe. But like, why would you care? That's not the experience. Why, why would yeah. you,
0: why would you play again? What are you working towards? What progression is there?
1: Reasons? Is there is there a story? Yeah.
0: It's always for us. It's okay. You, there's a world where you can shoot stuff and you can collect coins and. I feel like somewhere in me, that's all that I've ever needed. That's you know what I mean. Uh, Like that's awesome and that's so cool and I love it. But the fact of the matter is, you know, if you're going to put that in other people's hands, they're not going to have that same love. They didn't make it. You know, their fingerprints aren't all over it. You have to give them a reason to want to play again, a reason to play at all in the first place,
1: even. I think it speaks to the insidious nature of what's fun to make isn't always fun to play. Yeah, and you know what I'm realizing recently too. I've heard this, you
0: know, but I, I haven't really directly i don't know I, I have to learn some things myself by directly experiencing it you know and the games that i want to make are not necessarily the games that i like to play right and that's not true for everybody for sure i think there are some people who you know i'm making this game for myself because i want to play it every day for the rest of my life or something like that you know but for me where my creativity pushes me is not necessarily in a game that the gamer me would be really excited to hear about and to play right now and I think for a while I've resisted that. I've been like, eh, I mean, <laughs> I really want to make that. And I'm super jazzed about it. And I've got a million miles a minute about what I could do with that project, but I don't really like to play games like that. So I'm going to put it out of my mind. And I'm starting to resist that more. I'm starting to just go with it. Like I feel inclined to make this. And so I'm going to, and I don't really care about, I- I- I'm trying to get this, this might be dangerous, but I feel like a little bit of it is healthy, but I'm trying to get to this point where I don't really care uh, almost what anybody thinks of it. It's just like what I want to make. Right. You know? And yeah. that seems like selfish and kind of stupid, especially if you're trying to market your game, and if you'd like for anybody to ever buy it, it seems almost foolhardy. But I feel like otherwise, somewhere along the road, my creativity gets tripped up and choked a little bit.
1: I think the problem with this kind of scenario, right, is that the, it, it's gray, right? There's yeah. no black and white answer where it's like, you know, you should always make the games that you want to make, and you should always make the games that people want to play, right? Yeah. It's not that rigid. It's more like you know what your goals are and what you're trying to achieve personally. Uh, right. Whether it's like I want to see if I can make this game or I want to make a game for myself or I want to make a game for my friends or I want to make a commercial product that sells really well and yeah, tons of people play it. So, a lot of it really comes down to like what it is you're trying to accomplish in the first place. Yeah. Um but I think a little bit of both ends of the spectrum could be healthy, right? Like, I think it's kind of like the game of lenses, right? I think that you should look at it from a lot of different perspectives.
0: The book of lenses, yes. The book of All lenses, right, well, what'd I say, the game of lenses? A game, you're thinking of a game of thrones. A, right. <laughs> a book of thrones. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. We talk about that often. Um, it's a super good book. You should check it out. And even if you don't, there's a little app, a companion app you can get on your phone, which gives you a hundred ways to look at your game in which uh, it will disappoint you. And one of those lenses is called the <laughs> Lord of Bones. <laughs> Does your game pass the Lord of Bones test? <laughs> Johnny, you know what that is? I don't know. It needs millions of bones. Yes. I don't know. AWL1 had lots of bones in it. That's nice. The, uh, the bone piles where the skeletons came out of, every time you attack them, they shot up bone particles.
1: That they did. Bones. Bones everywhere. Although, because of the bugs with uh, AWL2's fan plant, Think there were never as many bones as there are fan or uh, thorn particles. That's true. There's lots of plant guts. <clears throat> lots Ma- of
0: plant guts. Many more. Is there, is there a Lord of Plant Guts? Maybe. <laughs> we'll go ask George R. R. Martin. Him or uh, Jesse Shell should know for sure. They should make a book together. I would read the <laughs> crap out of that. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen though. Something tells me it might not happen. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think along that note, um. Also, like, we've been doing this for a while, and I've been realizing stuff like, you know, you don't get to do anything forever, right? And you can you, you ask yourself enough times, like, what game do you want to make? What game do you want to make? And, and you realize, too, okay, like, we've been making games for four-ish, five-ish years now. I've never really made anything very personal, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about, like, my history and what games mean to me and how I learned them is a big part of it, you know what I mean? And that got me thinking about, like, people and... um so going back to the education part a little bit, I was also lucky to have access to and be able to afford books. And I say lucky because this was you know, the the internet existed, the web was there, but it was like the crappiest you know, like nineteen ninety four, right? Where like web browsers are like, Hello Right. I can show you text and maybe a picture and that's
1: it. <laughs> it's like, you know, and now I die and Netscape Navigator.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It was there, but it was not what it is today. You cannot just Google stuff and see infinite tutorials for free. You know what I mean? Right. And those books, the books that I wanted, I I always, it's always bugged the crap out of me, you know, because I had friends who like their hobby was reading. I just want to read and maybe they would write too or something, but like what a cheap, and I mean inexpensive hobby, you know, (laughs) you need pen and paper or you need like a typewriter or like the world's crappiest laptop will do as long as it can edit text. You know what I mean? Or even if you're not creating, you're just reading. Okay. I want cheap novels. I want books. You know, like books have as as long as I've been alive, books have always been easy to get, easy to afford. The small kind. You know what I mean? Why? It's like a one or two or three hundred page book and it's just a little novel and it's like it doesn't matter if it's paperback
1: or anything like that, you know? Why couldn't you design uh board games with paper and pencil?
0: Because I love video games. Video. Mm. It's key. I need I need pixels. I need the computer part of it. Because well, like the board board games were fun, but they didn't they didn't get me so excited that I would like, you know, quit my my successful career so as a web developer and try to you know figure it out with games you know what i mean like I, i like board games i love to play them but i don't think i get that excited about making them you know absolutely anyway uh where was i going with that so these books the books that i wanted like like my hobbies and my aspirations have always felt very expensive to me
1: Oh, and the money that I've had to deal with. Programming books have always been like way more expensive than regular books.
0: Yeah, they're they, they be they're huge, right? They begin at like fifty bucks at least. And this is back in the early nineties, you know, and they are giant mammoth tomes. They weigh maybe ten pounds, right? And you look at one, you're like, okay, fifty bucks. Game programming tricks of the game gurus, or you know, Windows game programming, okay. Uh, C plus plus programming for games, like all these, all these things, and you'd see one of them. You're like, okay, that one. You, you flip through them in the bookstore, you know, and you'd think, okay, this there's like three here. I there's no way I could ever afford more than one, so I've really got to know which one I want. And I would spend. I remember being a kid. I would go anytime we went to the bookstore. You know, my family would go to other places. I would go to the game programming section, or really, it was the computers section. There was no game programming section. I'd find like the the three maybe programming books there. And I would, I would, I would look at them repeatedly, and I would decide which one that I wanted because it would take me months to save up for it to buy it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember this too. Some of them would come with a CD, and you'd be like, "Why is this book a hundred dollars? I will never be able to afford that one." You'd like, "Oh, it's a stupid CD ROM in the back. <laughs> Damn you, technology!" The CD ROM's like cheaper than the book itself, like I know, like, but it, just... it made yeah, it was like this. It made the uh, the book look so much fancier, you know. And it was before AOL made the cd seem like a piece of garbage before it you know it mailed everyone in america
1: 10 aol online cd you know what i mean you got those cds you can make a house out of them i think that um i was in the same boat as you and i and i had a few like programming books here and there um the ones that are very dedicated to source code i feel like i have a couple of opinions about really let's hear it one is they never stand up to the test of time that well because programming is a discipline that changes rapidly, just like yeah, any technology. Um, and so I think a lot of stuff. I mean, it's not that it's useless, but like you know, if you're looking at an older book about programming, like there's going to be some stuff that's like, well, you know, maybe there's a better way to do it now, or this information is kind of incorrect because you know <laughs> JavaScript changed the way this works, or, or you know, or whatever the language happens to be. Yeah. That and, like, I feel like it's a very, like, decoupled activity from actual programming, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I never got that much value out of those books. I felt like I was getting value out of them, which I think is the trick, right? It's kind of like, like, programming books are good to make you feel like you're making progress on your project, right? You're like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm going to make an RPG, so I'm going to start with, I got this RPG book in C++, so I'm going to start reading it. But, like, that's not how you learn programming. You learn programming by doing it and failing and then looking up like very specific scenarios like, okay, why is this error being thrown? I need to look that up. Why, you know, and, and obviously you're talking about time before Google where that wasn't as easy, but I feel like a lot of times those books didn't really help you in that regard either.
0: Mm, that's a good point. Yeah.
1: Um I have I have a couple of, of, of programming books that have helped me and uh the one that I'm thinking of specifically is called physics for game developers. And there's like hardly any code in there. It's language. It's like, it's tackling a subject like, you know, physics, obviously that, uh, while it changes like the fundamental laws of physics, as we understand them, don't necessarily change very often. I have to, you know, couch that because, you know, (laughs) I watch things like cosmos and I understand that we barely understand that's oh yeah no
0: we don't really know what the hell's going on but we have figured out some math formulas that help us describe it that's it
1: exactly yeah but like those kinds of books i found to be helpful because you know they can teach me like a very specific subsection of physics that you know i may not have understood completely before right and that's kind of an activity that i feel like you can do decoupled from actual programming right yeah so anyways Mm. I, i feel like uh those kinds of books have gone by the wayside because they're really an ineffective way to learn programming.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, if we have younger listeners, they're going to be like, what are you guys talking about? What are, these, dinos- yeah. <laughs> what are these, dy- <laughs> these dinosaurs talking about? What's, what's a book? <laughs> what's a book? <laughs> no, not that bad. But yeah. I mean, okay, you're probably going to learn Unity these days and you're probably going to go to their impressive archive of amazing and updated tutorials and
1: you'll figure it out. It's my guess. Are you Google around on the forums or Stack Overflow or like you know all yeah. kinds of places where you can get answers to these questions? These kids these days so spoiled. <laughs> back in my day to climb a mountain, books taped to your back. But uh, I think that that's a good thing, right? Like <laughs> it, it's I don't know. The more I think about this kind of stuff, and like just as a small corollary with like running LDG, how when we first started, right? I was hosting our Git repos on like an Amazon EC2 instance because I could, right? (laughs) And like- You sure could. These days, I think that's foolhardy, you know? You're
0: over it. You want like a service here. This service does this thing that does it well
1: and and that's it, I'm done. Well, if you think about it, programming is all about building blocks, right? And like, there's no reason that we should stop at a certain point in time and say, this is- this is the best we have, and like <laughs> we're gonna move forward from here, yeah, um, like you should always be looking for the thing that's gonna be like take you one step higher than the previous generation was able right. to go,
0: yeah
1: uh, I don't really know where I was going with that, other than like I personally feel like sometimes I get in this mindset where you know i'm like i I know how to write code in a lot of different capacities, I know how to set up a w s like I can do all of those things, but a lot of those things aren't really necessary and shouldn't be done by me personally anymore. Right. It's kind of like
0: Can, AWS.
1: Right, yeah. Like, like AWS in general even is like, you know, I could set up a Linux box under my desk and use that as my server and then have like, uh, you know, a public IP address that maps to it and be running, you know, Nginx or Apache or whatever serving, yeah. serving content. But But I don't because that's ridiculous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's kind of cool though.
1: It feels like making your own robot pet. It does. But it gets you in know? the way of doing other things.
0: Yeah, it does. Which yeah. you know. It's true. I mean, you gotta think about that. You have to, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. You only get to live your life for so many years, you know, not to not to be morbid, but you really gotta push forward and stuff. You have to des- you've gotta focus, right? right? You gotta decide like, okay, this is necessary, or you know, I could do this an easier way. And you know, that kind of gets back to right, the spelunky devs. They're like, yeah, version control. We should... Uh, I don't care. Just email them yeah. to me. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Look, let's just finish this thing. <laughs> let's just move forward, right? <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting. Um, I'm going to go back to the HelloFresh delivery thing again. What? it's unexpected. <laughs> it is, but like... <laughs> hear me out. I'm listening. So one of the reasons that I really like that service is because it removes a lot of the, like, kind of... <laughs> crappy tedious things that i would have to do in order to make this happen for myself right Mm. like one of the things i noticed about myself recently with cooking is that i am not in a headspace where i feel really motivated to one look up a bunch of recipes two figure out which of those recipes i want to make three compile a list of all the ingredients i would need and then four put in an order to like safely delivery even I'm not even talking about going to the store, right? Putting an order to Safeway delivery to say, you know, <laughs> you know, ha- have all these things delivered to my house. Like, that's a lot of cognitive overhead. Hmm. And while I could do that myself, and it would obviously be more efficient and cheap that way, uh, what I really want right now out of life is I want to make my own food that's good and delicious and relatively healthy, uh, with as with as little amount of effort as possible, <laughs> right? And so, like that. Scenario is actually perfect for me because I'm abstracting away the parts of that scenario that I don't want to do, right? Or I don't want to reinvent, essentially. like Right. uh, And so I think the same thing is true for game development. Hmm. Like, knowing what to focus on, you know, while while I could spin up this server and that server, is that a good use of my time? Is that the way I want to be spending my time? Right. I mean, and obviously a lot of it's like, a pro and con thing right because it, it, if you're it, it again it depends on your goals right if your goal is like i want to spend the least amount of money possible then like that's a bad route but yeah my goal right now is like i want to eat well i want to eat a variety of things and i want to cook at home because i like the, the act of cooking but it's also healthier probably yeah but like i don't want to scour the internet for recipes because i hate all those recipe sites <laughs> i don't want to like compile a list of all the ingredients that i would need and then have to like map that ingredient amount to what the store actually has right and then this happens a lot of times when uh, i I order through Safeway is like they won't have a certain thing in stock for sure right and then i'm like okay well this one meal is now defunct because i don't have pork or something no pork for you anyways yeah i won't talk about it too much but i hear you reminded me of it
0: you know i even think that it's hard to know which path is that path where you're doing the thing that's easiest to push forward or if you're doing the thing that's, you know, I'm going to let someone else handle this bit that's that they do well and I don't want to do, you know what I mean? Yeah. Here's an example for you is like my my latest prototype's got maps in it. It's maps. <clears throat> maps as, as rooms you can walk around. So one line of thinking might be, I don't want to make my own map editor, so I'm going to use tiled. And then I spend a month integrating with tiled, right? right? <laughs> I could totally see doing that. And we've done that before, actually. We've we had our games, uh, multiple games, we've had integrated with Tiled. Yes. And here's what I did. I made uh, ASCII characters. I just use, you know, I, I just edit strings, basically, in the code. Right. Because I don't care. You know, Absolutely. and like, okay, A through Z is the tile value of 0 through 25. Right? And uh, there's a set, set of prefabs that use lowercase letters that you can just type in whatever you want, and that prefab will appear there. And then the, that's it. Like you tell in the code, you'll say, I want this image to be the tile set it'll use. And if you want to add custom prefabs, you can do that too by creating a legend in the, you know, object data. Right. And bada bing, bada boom, That's done. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. And I didn't use tiled. And part of me, you know, was one something a little fancier, but another part of me uh, is happy that it's done
1: and it works and I don't care anymore. I think that's great. I mean, it, Again, it just depends on the scope and what you're trying to accomplish because you know what you're talking about works perfectly for that simple scenario right but if you wanted let's say you wanted your map to have multiple layers, let's say you right. wanted your map to have isometric tiles like Bull. you probably Bull. like would have a lot of a <laughs> a harder time like making the ASCII scenario work for you because like that data doesn't scale as well as something like tiled might I think with tiled though like if you're going to leverage stuff, you should leverage a lot of different things, right? <laughs> like, yeah, instead of, oh, we're using Tile, but I wrote my own wrapper for it, it should be like, oh, I'm using Tiled, and I'm using this JavaScript library that someone else already wrote that reads Tiled data. Right. And I'm using a game engine, maybe like Phaser or something, that knows how to read and write and display Tile, uh, yeah, Tiled tile maps. Yeah, for sure. Because, like, just doing one piece, like, In that scenario, like, you're not really saving anything, right? Like, if you're just using Tiled and you have to write something that renders and reads Tiled's map data format, like, you're creating even more work for yourself.
0: Yeah, I wanted to speak code. You know what I mean? I didn't want to have to leave my editor to make changes to my game at all. Yeah. I change this H to a G, and I'm done. Instead of, okay, open this up, I click here, and yeah, that was a nicer interface, but now I got a file, save as, export, JSON, import. You know what I mean? Any, anything like that. No, I just I want to change one byte,
1: so let's do it and move on with our lives, right? Yeah, I think it's really just all about scalability, right? Like, you know, if you're working on a big team, on a big project, the ASCII maps might not be that, <laughs> that scalable.
0: Yeah, and I think that I'm in this headspace right now where I'm thinking, like, there's... N- no need for something bigger than that, right. you know. I'm I'm wanting to basically limit myself a lot and like, okay, Matt, these like you can you only have these three pieces. What are you gonna do with that? And you know you can do something cool with it because other people do cool stuff with those same pieces all the time. And you're so you, just as good as those other people, aren't you, Matt? Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my confidence is uh it has ups and downs. If they can do it, that.
1: you should be able to do it.
0: Yeah, part of me rolls up my sleeves. And I'm like, yes. No one is better than me. Just like I'm better than no one. We are all people that are perfectly capable. And other parts, I'm like, oh, these guys are geniuses and I'm a stupid idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to be able to do this. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, I think recently I just, um, I know I can make stuff. I can. I can make software. I can make pixels. I have a friend who makes music. I can make sound effects. I can make a game. And uh, I don't know. I think that's enough sometimes you know i just i gotta figure out the rest of it which is how to make a good game (laughs) how to get people to know about it that kind of stuff
1: yeah well i mean you know as we talk about on the show all the time there's a myriad of things that go into making games especially if you're making games for selling yeah Uh, a lot of concerns that you have to think about exactly
0: exactly
1: eggs actually just to you know further reinforce (laughs) the cooking theme of the show yes
0: bring that back uh I think last but not least there was some Unity news. We like to keep up with that because uh we still like Unity. Yeah. We still have we still have our finger on that pulse. So as a U- a new Unity
1: pricing model, yeah? Yeah, it looks like they're moving more to a subscription-based thing, which I kind of find sort of annoying because one of the things I loved about Unity um when we first started investigating it was that it was like, you know, 1500 bucks, which is expensive, but Right. That's like a light, you know. One-time. It's a one-time fee, right? And it's like, then you own it, and you can do whatever you want. There's no royalties. You know, I when we were talking about Unity, like, maybe a year ago, or whenever it was, um, people were saying, like, uh, oh, did you see, like, you know, Unreal came out with, like, their thing, and, like, they have this, basically, subscription model, or it was free, but they take 5% of your royalties, and I'm like, that's crazy. Like, 5%. Versus $1,500 up front is crazy. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It makes zero sense to me. Um, But anyways, it looks like that's kind of the direction that Unity is going to go as well. It's like, another reason that I have a very low opinion of Adobe products these days is because I'm still stuck in this mindset where, like, I want to buy software and I want to own this software. And, like, I don't want to, like, subscribe to your software. No. No. But it makes sense, right? Because they're providing you a constant set of updates, right? Like, yeah. why should Unity sell me something for 1500 bucks and then be on the hook to give me patches and updates for it to the end of time? I mean, that's kind of expected in a lot of ways. Yep. But why, right? Like, they're providing me an ongoing service and why shouldn't I be paying them an ongoing amount of money? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's interesting. I wonder if games could go that same direction, right? Instead of being... I mean, they, they kind of are, right? Like, you've got uh, Humble Bundle. They've got a subscription service for games. Like, why can't games go that same route where instead of it being like, hey, you paid 50 bucks for this game and now you quote-unquote own it? Uh, right. You know, why why don't we just rent games to people and they get updates and stuff? So what does that mean for people who already have that license? Um, I So I, I think that it applies... So people that have the license right now, that license only is good for Unity Five. So basically, when they break the major version, Oof. uh, you'll have to move to the subscription model. Or you could—I mean, you could use Unity Five to the end of time, I assume, right? As long as it right, still produces EXEs and stuff.
0: but that won't work forever, though.
1: I bet it won't work forever, and, and w- they might. I mean, I I honestly, or Sun sunset it. Yeah, I can't speak to their plans honestly, but I think that even if they did let it run, even if they didn't put any kind of like external restrictions on it. You'd still run the risk of like, well, they're not going to bug fix anything. And like, you know, oh, mm. it like Windows 12 came out and Unity 5 just doesn't work with Unity 12 at all. And like, they're not going to fix it. So you have yeah, no choice sure. but to upgrade. They do. They do have like a uh, like a pay to own kind of model where you subscribe. And I think it's like 36 months. Basically, and then you can get it for free or get it, mm. own it totally. So it sounds like they have something similar. But it's kind of funneled through the subscription service. Yeah. It's like rent to own instead of just pay it up front.
0: Man, it's just a reminder. I still, to this day, I feel kind of dumb for not investing more time in Unity. But at the same time, my tools kind of change when I want them to. You know, once, like, the worst that happens is, I mean, and you probably feel this pain more than I do (laughs) because you spent more time with it, but... You know, some kind of version of Chrome or some kind of version of, of Node WebKit or something screws something up. But it's usually like you got to wait for a fix or there's something you can do to get around it, you know? Right. But like what really used to bug me is back when I was making Flash games uh, as much as I could, you know, they'd have an update and it would change something drastically or, you know, it's just very opinionated. Like just just that lock-in feeling of you need, you need to develop in this way based on how we say. I always hated that feeling. Yeah. It's inevitable in some scenarios, but uh, I never liked it.
1: But anyways, I think this is one of, you know, I don't know. This is like doomsday for Unity, obviously. Like it's just a thing, <laughs> yeah. but it is one of those like things we would have listed in the cons section when we we're evaluating whether or not to use a game engine. Is like they can change their pricing model at the drop of a hat. They could. Honestly, we yeah. we
0: did we we did have that kind of thing. It was the under cons we had that something like like you know platform lock in or you know they can pull a rug from out from your, your, your feet, right? <laughs> like they they have power over you. I think we did have a con for that. But like, if, that was, if that specific bullet point was on there, it would have been a much bigger con, right? Right. Than this like, oh, they could
1: screw with us. <laughs> and uh, our current stack is actually relatively immune to that because although we do leverage a lot of pieces, every single thing that we leverage is open source. Right. Like, uh, you know, obviously Chromium is open source. Right. Uh, Node WebKit is open source. Node itself is open source. Greenworks, which is the plugin that interfaces with Steam for us, is also open source. Yeah. Anybody can use JavaScript. Uh, and we use our own custom JavaScript engine, so we're not even, like, licensed to, like, say, Impact.js or something. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's
0: that, that part feels very freeing. I think we each kind of get down on our own tools once in a while. Uh, like, oh, they they don't do that much, or HTML5 is limiting, or our game engine doesn't do this or that. But uh, I really like our tools. And I th- I can clearly see how... Shoring up our own tools to the point where they kind of fill in just those few gaps that are left of, of what they don't do. Once those are filled, I can see getting to that, that mise en place place. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. place. place. <laughs> I, I really want to get there where I'm just, I'm not even thinking about the tech, you know? Yeah. It's as simple as something like drawing with pencil on paper. There's almost nothing that can happen. Like short of an earthquake or a meteor striking, there's almost nothing that can stop you from doing what you feel Hmm. that needs to be done at that time. You know what I mean? I will make games and
1: I cannot be stopped. That's right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I want to get there. Yeah.
1: I think that's probably all we have for this week. That's it. That's it folks. That's all she wrote. (laughs) so thanks for listening as always and uh you know join us on discord or the forum or support us on patreon ship it
0: It's not like you slapped the Stay puff Marshmallow Man. <laughs> Slap!
1: I slapped my ass. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love that you said that after I said it. Sounds like you slapped the <laughs> Marshmallow Man because you're like, my ass is like the
1: Marshmallow Man. Right? It's made of marshmallows. <laughs> I'm sure something in there is going to become a stinger.
0: Oh, absolutely. That's um, that's stinger gold. That's kind of what I always hope for. Right. <laughs> when we
1: start <laughs> recording before we start talking. Something like
0: that with which to sting. With which to sting. Yes. Anyways,
1: let's uh let's get started.